having me. I'm really excited to be here. As Dave said, I love church planting. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. But let me tell you a little bit about New Thing, just so you have some context. New Thing is a catalyst for movements of reproducing churches. That means we plant churches just like this one for people just like you, but we do it all over the world. And we're aligned around mission. We believe that part of being a Jesus follower is not only to experience salvation in Christ, but then God gives each of us a mission. And church planting is one of the ways to extend the mission of God in the world. So whether you know it or not, as part of the partnership of New Thing, again, these are churches just coming together to start more churches. As part of that partnership, you all are connected. I love that word, Dave. It's a good word. It's a good biblical word. Uh, I love <laughs> You all are connected with churches as close as Chicago, but as far away as Africa, in the UK, and in Norway, and in Thailand, um, and in El Salvador, and elsewhere. And so God is perfectly fine and on the move. Don't worry about that. And I love to be here with all of you, what you're doing in this space. Um, let me just get something out of the, out of the way right off the bat. Um, isn't Dave Jane great? Isn't he awesome? Come on now. He's awesome. I love you, brother. Um, as, I, as, I, as I think about it, I could, just, I could listen to Dave talk all day. He could read the phone book for all I care. I'd, just be, I'd be listening to you, man, just like... <laughs> um, I love Dave, and here's what I want you to know about Dave from my perspective. He loves all of you. He loves this community. He's committed to it. Um, he and his wife, Casey, and the family. I remember when Dave was wrestling with the call of church planting. He's a brilliant, brilliant student. Uh, a super smart guy, and it's really fun for me to think about that first conversation we had in Kansas City, and now look at what God's doing in and through all of you. And I want to say a special shout out to the team. They have been so kind and generous to me since I've been here. I, I drove up here with my son, uh, or drove down here with my son. Once you get out of Chicago, I don't really care. It's probably south, right? <laughs> so we drove south here yesterday, and Dave and the team have been taking great care of us. And then meeting some of your leaders here at the church has been really awesome, and I want you to know that they really love you guys, and they go out of their way to make sure that this thing takes off every Sunday. So can we just give it up for them, Be all the contributors, all the staff leaders, all of that? And then, and then a final thank you to all of you. Dave told me that there's 84 people who have said yes to Jesus in baptism here at Connect since the launch. 84 people. I hear about and I read about because I watch you guys. I'm, I'm kind of a stalker of Connect. I'm watching you guys. You're on mission. People are finding their way to Christ here. People are being baptized. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a church on mission. Thank you for being a church that is reaching out beyond itself. We need you, and I'm grateful to be in partnership with you through New Thing. All right, early on in my Christian walk, I've already only been a Christian for about 12 years, but a good, direct, a good mentor, friend of mine, kind of like a spiritual director, asked me a couple of really powerful questions that really did influence my walk. He said, he said how is your life different now that you follow Jesus? Basically, he was asking, does your life really reflect any difference now that you're following Jesus? And he pushed me a little bit, and he said, has anybody ever asked you about why you do the things you do now that you're a Christ follower? And to be honest, it was early on in my walk. I didn't know the answers, but I wanted the answers to be true, and that those questions were powerful, and they were influential in my life. And so that's where I want to start with all of you this morning. How would you answer the question? How would you answer the question about living a questionable 
life. See, we're finishing up this series, and I love it. I love that you guys are going through it. And I know that we're all at different places in our spiritual walk. I know some of us are just, maybe some of us aren't even there with Jesus. I know there are a few of you in this room. I know some of you are just on the journey, you're just starting it. And I know several of you have been journeying with Jesus a long, long time, and that's all beautiful and good. But I know this, that we all want our lives to matter. Would you agree with me? We all want our lives to have impact and make a difference in the world. And so today we're talking about the kind of life where people take notice. The kind of life that actually reflects Jesus. Where they begin to ask you, why are you like that? Why are you so generous? Why are you so kind? Why are you so joyful? And then, of course, you get to tell them your story. Have you ever met somebody who lives a questionable life? You kind of know it when you meet them. I think about my friend Daryl in Kansas City. He's also from the UK, Dave. I didn't know if you knew that. But Daryl's from the UK, and he moved to Kansas City, and he wants to plant a church in the inner city of Kansas City. And Daryl's specific call is to young African-American men to be able to coach them and mentor them because he knows that there's a dearth of that in that community. Daryl also is participating in tons of community activities and events and boards. He's really involved. He reaches out to homeless people when they're in transition and opens his own to them. Daryl leads a questionable life. Every time I talk to Daryl, I'm challenged to think about how I'm living a questionable life. See, Jesus, he lived a questionable life. There's just no question about it. He, he did a lot of things, and a lot of questions were asked about him. People would, would ask him, who, who are you really? Why are you doing those things? Why are you pushing so much against the establishment, Jesus? Questions that people asked him about not only who he was, but what he did, what he said, who he hung out with. See, Jesus is often at odds. Read the Gospels for yourself. He's often at odds with the religious leaders of the day. In his day, the cultural expectation was to be Religious was to be a good practicing Jew that followed the letter of the law to the T. Do you know there are 626 Old Testament laws that a good Jew would have to practice in order to be considered as such? See, the Pharisees, this group of religious leaders, they were the worst or the best, depending on how you look at it now. They, they, they wanted to uphold these law practices, and they were very good at ensuring that everybody knew where they were and how they stacked up in measuring those practices, whether people were actually living out the letter of the law. If you weren't, you could expect a Pharisee to come and get in your craw a little bit and let you know that. And while we can all probably understand that, you know, being a good law-abiding citizen, I'm, I'm not advocating we shouldn't be. Of course we should be. But it is really about why we are law-abiding citizens. And if you think about the Pharisees, if you read about them in the Gospels, they regularly come across the line when it comes to the law. Even twisting it up a bit and making it seem like some sort of measuring stick. Who is following the law and therefore who is closer to God and who wasn't? Who was following the law and there was righteousness and there those people who weren't following the law and therefore were unrighteous. 
And in the book of Matthew, there's this really cool story. Again, check it out yourself. It's a, it's a confrontation, really, a conflict that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Jesus is with some of his closest followers, and the Pharisees basically say, you're not living up to the expectations, Jesus. You're not following the rules, Jesus. And he took them to task because he wasn't interested. And this is what we got to get about this, this message and then today. We've got to understand that Jesus is not ever interested about perpetuating the law. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in your heart. And he's interested in my heart. And he was interested in the hearts of the Pharisees. See, things heat up quickly between Jesus and these Pharisees. And in, in, in the message version, Matthew 15, 1 to 3, it says, Pharisees and religion scholars came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem criticizing. They came a long way to call Jesus out. Why do your disciples play fast and loose with the rules, Jesus? But Jesus pushed right back on them and said, why do you use rules to play fast and loose with God's commands? See, Jesus doesn't mix words here. He goes right after these guys. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. These people make a big show of saying the right things, don't they? But their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping, but they don't mean it. They just use me as cover for teaching, whatever suits their fancy. Here's what we got to understand about Jesus. The one thing that he possibly, if, if we could be so um, dramatic about Jesus, he couldn't stand fakes and phonies and frauds. Jesus' life is about authenticity, about honesty. It's, it's about the heart. And so he pushes back on these guys. Jesus isn't interested in keeping the law if your heart's not in it. Now, ironically, in some ways, Jesus is interested in keeping the law if your heart's in it. And then you're never going to find Jesus calling to task people who, who have screwed up, who have sinned, who have messed up, who have blown it, but who approach Jesus with humility, seeking forgiveness, seeking repentance, seeking a chance to start over. But the prideful, the arrogant, the self-righteous, the Pharisees, well, he has very little time for them. And he goes on to paint this graphic image. Don't you know, don't you know that anything that is swallowed works its way through the intestines and is finally defecated? But what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. And it's the heart that we vomit up. Evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, lies, cussing. That's what pollutes. Eating or not eating certain foods Washing or not washing your hands, well, that's neither here nor there. See, Jesus is getting at with this imagery that, 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 that what is outside shouldn't influence the inside. What does this have to do with living a questionable life? I think first it means that you can't fake it. You can't fake a questionable life. We're all going to see it. Think about who Jesus hung out with. Again, read the Gospels. Read the Gospels yourselves. Tax collectors, the sick, the marginalized, the poor, Romans. I mean, you didn't hang out with Romans. 
living a questionable life, it's not about pretending to be somebody you're not or living up to some expectation that others have for us. I know somebody in this room needs to hear that today. And then second, it's very clear that what Jesus says is, matters is your heart. What matters is your heart posture. Jesus says that what comes out of the mouth starts here. Words don't just fly out of your mouth. Jesus says they originate in your heart. So he's really interested in the posture of our hearts. He's really interested in where our hearts was. He goes on to say, you can obey all the rules. You can do all the right things. The Pharisees could say you're a swell, God-loving person. But if your heart's not in it, it doesn't mean anything. So if you really want to live a questionable life, you're following me. It's got to start with the heart, right? Give me a nod if you're tracking. And, and, and so years ago, a psychiatrist named Frank Lank and a theologian named Emile Bruner looked at Jesus' life throughout the Gospels. And they realized that grace seemed to flow into Jesus from the Father and then out to others. Say that again. Grace flowed from the Father to Jesus and then out to others. And they called that the cycle of grace. There's four steps in the cycle of grace. The first is acceptance. Jesus' first public act was to be baptized. He hadn't done anything. And he comes out of the water, and a voice from heaven says, This is my son. This is my son, who I love. Who I love, and with him I am well pleased. You're my son. That's who you are. I love you. That's how I feel about you. That is where your worth is begins. See, acceptance starts in the heart. And there's nothing that we can do to gain that acceptance. Jesus has already done it for us. And there's nothing anybody can do to take it away from us. It's unconditional. It's an identity that we receive when we say yes to Jesus. Think about it this way. Think about babies. We make a big deal about babies, don't we? A really big deal. We love when babies are coming. We get really excited when babies are coming. We get excited to celebrate the life of babies when they come. And then we spend every year of their birth, we celebrate all that baby coming, right? But think about a baby. It can't talk. <laughs> it only cries. It's very uncoordinated. The child's very uncoordinated, right? They're loud. They're obnoxious. They can't do anything. Right? They don't, they don't contribute to society in any meaningful way. They're uncoordinated, right? You might even say a baby's incompetent. But we love them, don't we? We love them. Now, I don't even think babies are cute. I mean, they're all like, they're all like head and hands and, and little feet, you know? They're not, come on, just be honest with me, right? I mean, my kids are cute. They were cute, but my point is this. Of course we love babies. We love everything about babies. And we should love babies. But it's an example of being loved for just existing. When a child enters into the world, the mom and the dad and the family and the grandparents and the cousin, we all rally around that child. And we love that child. We don't know if that kid's going to be a terror or the next president of the United States. But we love that child anyway. 
And that's called grace. And that's how God works. And it's a mystery, my friends. It's crazy. It messes with my head sometimes because it's not the way the world is, I know. But you should know you are loved. You should know you are accepted. And the questionable life has got to start there in the heart with the Father's love and his acceptance. The next move is sustenance. <clears throat> it's sustaining grace. And what you see in the life of Jesus is that he understood that God accepted him. He got through that. All right, I got that. But then he also chose specific practices and behaviors in his life to sustain him. Think about it. He prayed a lot. Countless, uh, um, <clears throat> countless referrals to him praying in the scriptures. He connected with friends. Jesus was always in a small group. He was always in a connect group. He never said, I'm too busy. He was always doing life with his followers, with people. He engaged in worship. He discussed the scriptures. He knew the scriptures really well. He, he would go off on long walks by himself and spend time alone with the Father. He did these practices to, to sustain I practiced that, and I still screwed it up, to sustain his walk with the Father. And I think that sometimes we see these practices or behaviors, um, um, behaviors or, or, or kind of expectations that we have to meet in order to be right with God. And I don't see that in Jesus' life. Sometimes we engage in these practices or behaviors to impress others, or, or maybe even to get right with God, and I don't see that in the life of Jesus. I mean, have you ever had one of those seasons where you, you said to yourself, I'm, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to get it right this time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going I'm to serve. I'm going to do all these things, right? I'm going to do all these spiritual practices, only to get into it, and then, oh, man, it's like somebody steals away your joy, steals away. You start doubting. You start, you start, you start hemming and hawing about it, right? Following those practices can be exhausting. You want to please God, but they're exhausting. You maybe do it because you want to please others, but they're exhausting. You may even want to do it to please yourself, but they're exhausting because the practices in themselves are meaningless unless what? The posture of the heart's correct. Those practices are sustained by the posture of the heart. You know, when, when Jesus was baptized, the voice of God said to him, you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. But it's interesting, right after this, Satan takes him out to the desert, right? In that famous temptation story. And, and Satan says things like this. Notice the, the, the phrases. If you are the son of God, Jesus, tell these, story, tell these stones. If you are the son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down from this rampart. In other words, Satan is saying, don't believe it for a minute, Jesus. Who do you think you are, Jesus? If you're God, you should be able to do these things, Jesus. He was driving at that acceptance, right? I, I mean, don't, don't you feel that sometimes? I know I do. And I know that if I look at the life of Jesus, I can... Get away from those lies and those deceptions by building sustaining practices in my life. And that's why I pray. I pray to stay closer to Jesus. I read my scriptures to hear from God. 
I serve others because it's God's way of grace flowing out of me. I'm generous to the church because I know that God uses my generosity to make a difference in the world. The next move is the cycle of significance. I believe that this is about the idea that deep down we all, it's kind of my evidence that we all want to live a questionable life. We all want our lives to matter, to make a difference. And as God's grace flows into us, we have practices that sustain us, right? We just talked about that. And we see in Jesus' life that first and foremost, he knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew the Father. And he said things like this, I am the way. And that was so that you and I could find our way back to him. I am the vine, he said. And that sustains you and I and empowers us to this Christian life. He said, I'm the good shepherd. And that is to imply that he watches over and he cares for us. Grounded in the knowledge of who he was and sustained by the grace of God, Jesus then pours that out into the life of others from the Father through his life out into the world. And in the same way, we, you and I, we're made to make that difference. Don't be sitting here for a moment thinking, dude, that's just for Jesus. That's for super Christians. That's for people who are a little bit in too deep in this Christian stuff. Those are for people who are a little too radical for me. No, my friends. Every one of us is called to be a vessel of grace into this world. And don't think for a moment this world doesn't need it. Don't think for a moment they don't need to know the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus and each of us sitting in this room or standing on this stage or out in that lobby, setting or tearing up in this church, are called to be vessels of grace into the world. I think about my wife, Nancy. She's not here so I could talk about her. She's, <laughs> she's, um, she's the most caring and kind person I know, almost to the fault where I get uncomfortable about it, to be honest. She knows when people are hurting or when they are in need of just prayer or a meal. And so there's oftentimes she'll text me, yeah, I'm stopping at such and such's home on the way home, and I'm going to drop off a meal for them. I'll be late. Now, honestly, sometimes it drives me nuts. But that's who she is, and that's how God has wired her. Or I think about my friend Scott, really successful business guy. He's been hardworking, has made a great, great um, advancement for himself. But he's the most generous person I know. The guy is radically generous. While he's made money, he is not afraid to give it away. And I think about people like my wife and Scott, and I know that they understand the significant life that God's called them to be about. And while it's very different, they are each called to make their own way in the world, to be significant players in the kingdom, they do it, and it inspires me. And then the last move on the cycle of grace is achievement. You know, there's this, I think sometimes this um, negative stereotype of Jesus just being really cool. You know, kind of like this hippie dude with Birkenstocks. Just, hey, dude, everybody just chill out, okay? It's all about love. It's all about peace, you know? It's not that. Jesus' life is full of action. I mean, he's on the move. He taught. He recruited. He cast vision. He challenged. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He moved around all of ancient Israel. And to say the world's a different place because of his actions, well, we're talking about him 2,000 years later in Washington, Illinois, aren't we? Think about that. Think about what Jesus achieved in 
Three years, the scriptures say. Three short years. The cycle of grace. The cycle of grace is awesome. And I, I think all of us are sitting here kind of nodding our heads saying, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, cool. Yeah, this is very helpful. But I think if we were honest and reflected on our lives, where we are right now this morning, I think what we'll find is that a lot of us are living in the cycle of works. The cycle of works was what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were all about. The cycle of works, it's not about an inside-out strategy, it's about an outside-in strategy. Check it out. The cycle of works is directly the opposite of the cycle of grace. We achieve, we do stuff, usually good stuff, usually religious stuff, and sometimes we tack, tack Jesus' name onto it to show people and ourselves or maybe even God that we are significant and important and worthy, and we hope that that significance sustains us through the challenges and the disappointments of life because it's all in a desperate effort to fulfill this deep longing for acceptance. You see that? You see how the cycle of works works? Another name for the cycle of works, cycle of religion, the cycle of career advancement, or, or maybe even the, the cycle of every sports field or competition in America that places achievement at the highest. It is the goal, and we're going to do it no matter what. Everything else is submitted to it. through Jesus, offers a very different way. I think we have to pay attention to it. God is asking us to live a questionable life. He's asking us to cut against the grain of the world. Dare I say, Jesus lived a counter-cultural life. A rebel in some sense of the word, wouldn't you agree? Jesus' life screamed back at the religious leaders who said that it was all about works. And Jesus said, it's not, guys. It's not about works. It's not about getting the outside right so the inside gets right. It's about the inside getting right so that the outside can get right. And the inside doesn't get right until we say yes to Jesus. I can't imagine that there's Everyone here has said yes to Jesus yet. And I know that there's different levels of saying yes to Jesus. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. I'm not going to challenge you on any aspect of your own journey. I'm just going to ask you to say honestly in your heart, have you said yes to Jesus? Not to the stuff and the works that you think Jesus demands of you, but the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus who accepts you and looks at each of us and says, you, and you, and you, I am well pleased, and I love you. And your very identity is based on that fact. That's where we start with Jesus. That's why it matters that we say yes to him first before we live the questionable life. So my question is, have you said yes to Jesus so that the past can be left behind? that you can find purpose in the present and hope in the future. I love how the, the disciple Paul writes this. Now remember, he's writing this to the Ephesian church, church just like you all. Much of the New Testament, by the way, is just letters that Paul wrote to churches. 
right? He says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God, God is so rich in mercy, so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. It's not something you have to work for so no one can boast. My friends, that's what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. That's what it looks like to live the questionable life. This is where the questionable life begins. It begins with saying yes to Jesus. You know, back to those questions my friend asked me um, about my own life early on in my journey, and, and I was grateful. And they challenged me to think about how I was going to live out a questionable life. And that led me down a journey of deliberate leadership development. Ultimately, it led me away from a very, very lucrative business career <laughs> that I sometimes think about. <laughs> and that led me to church planning in Kansas City, where I did some and had some opportunity to see God do some amazing things. And that led me to living my life, getting clarity about my life, that I, I was going to be about bridging and helping guys like Dave and people like all of you start new things for the kingdom. And it's been a beautiful, wonderful, overwhelming, challenging, difficult journey at times, but God has blessed me for it. And it's the kind of life that people ask me about from time to time. And I don't want them to ask me about it so that I'm lifted up. I hope in the very opposite way that when people ask me about my life, they're actually seeing Jesus because that's what I want my life to be about. I want my life to reflect him in all of what I do. I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus is calling you and I to live a questionable life. The question is, will you step forward and live that questionable life today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Dave's willingness to say yes to the call that you placed on him and his family's life. Thank you for all the leaders, all the contributors, and all the generosity it takes each and every week to make this a reality. Lord, this is a question that people in the community ask. What are they doing there? Why do they do the things that they do? Father, I pray that you continue to use this church, that you can use, continue to use my brothers and sisters in, in new and marvelous ways throughout this community. Father, I'm thankful that you've called each of them to this questionable life. My prayer, Lord, is that you would give them clarity about what their own unique role and calling is in that life. Whether that's to reach their cul-de-sac or their office or their classroom, whether it's to be a good neighbor to somebody who's sick, whether it's to, to sit down with an elderly person and just listen to them and talk to them, whether it's to give generously to something, a ministry here or a cause here at Connect, whether it's to get involved, Father, that whatever it is, Lord, that you would call them and they would have clarity about their next step in this questionable life. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, they would have courage 
they would have courage and they wouldn't be afraid. And that they would, they would do these things, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. Lord, I am so thankful for what you are doing here in and among my friends. I ask you to bless them. I ask you to keep them in your grace, Lord. Continue to show them your love and kindness and mercy so that they can be vessels of the same to the world around them. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.